What was that? Long COVID? Oh, give the virus a break. I mean, yeah, the virus is real and very serious for a minority of people. But we seem to be blaming everything on it. And are we now saying that all these persistent symptoms like tiredness are due to that? Hmm, at least I've got something to blame. I know exactly what's wrong with you, Mr. Bloggs. You have long COVID. Hello, it's Munir Adam again, welcoming you to another episode of Primary Care Now, the podcast for all frontline clinicians working in primary care across the region. This episode is the first in a series covering long COVID. And this series, we'll be hearing from professionals who've been, and continue to be, dedicating their time and energies to understanding and helping us understand what long COVID actually means. And they're doing that not only through this podcast, but also via webinar and links to that have been provided in the description. Well, good luck to them because I'm sceptical about the whole thing. But in the next 20 minutes or so, I'll be talking to Laura Graham, who will introduce herself in a few moments, and she's going to start us on this journey. By the end of this episode, you'll be more familiar about what long COVID actually is, the strange demographics, what the pathophysiology might be, what sorts of symptoms it causes, some red flag considerations, and where to turn to find out more about it. And clearly, long COVID is so prevalent that the long COVID series is relevant to all of us. So stay tuned. Okay, well, thanks for joining. And um, do you want to start by introducing yourself and your role? Yeah, so my name is Laura Graham. I am a, a highly specialised um, respiratory physiotherapist. I work in, um, I work for the Homerton University Hospital in City of Hackney, um, but I'm also the uh, North East London Long Covid Health Education England Workforce Transformation Fellow. And within that role, I've been running the Long Covid Clinic at the Homerton Hospital for the last 12 months. Hmm, okay. So um, what got you into this? I mean, why, why, why did you get involved with the Long Covid? Um, so I recognised probably early on in sort of 2020 when the first cases and reports were coming through of, of prolonged symptoms uh, following a COVID-19 infection um, that there was definitely going to be a need for clinical services to support um, patients with prolonged se- um, symptoms um, longer term. And working in respiratory and um, COVID, I suppose, was very much thought of as a respiratory disease at the beginning. Um, I was being exposed to people at the acute end um, and we were having a lot of patients coming through to our community pathways for support with Mm -hmm. things like oxygen therapy, um, respiratory physiotherapy, pulmonary rehab. Um, And then we started working as a a COVID recovery group within City and Hackney to think, well, how how do we support patients with these long-term symptoms and who are are they better managed under a, a kind of a one pathway or multiple pathways? Um, and then from there, I started working more and more with North East London and the London region. Uh-huh. Um, and so when the Health Education England Transformation Fellowship came um, up, I thought it was a really good opportunity to apply my local system learning at a wider scale. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into long COVID. And, and from there, it's just snowboard. So working both at North East London, but I've also helped to co-chair the London AHP Long COVID Network. And we now have just over 500 members. Mm-hmm. That sounds like quite a lot of things going on for long COVID. I'm a bit surprised, really. I mean, well, does it even exist, long COVID? It absolutely exists. And we might not have the right diagnostic tests 
We might not have, um, you know, a, a lot of pharmacological management strategies at the moment, but it absolutely does exist. And it, it's a completely uh, real thing, very physically presenting. Um, but obviously, we know the body and mind are very complex and interact. And so um, we see multiple symptoms. Patients are very debilitated mm-hmm. um, and debilitated have been for a very long time. So, you know, lots of people still living with symptoms 22 to mm-hmm. months following their initial COVID. Obviously, we're coming up to sort of that two-year anniversary for a lot of people. So it very much exists. We might not know as much as we would like to know about it and um, to help us manage it, but it's very, very real and it's very, very life-limiting for a lot of people as well. Yeah, so long COVID is the patient term. It was derived from um, from patient support groups, I suppose, um, in early, well, sort of May, I think, June 2020. That term started getting used. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, since then, it has been recognised by NICE. We have a clinical case definition of post-COVID syndrome, which is referring to anybody um, who's had symptoms over 12 weeks um, and that they have been mm-hmm. present for um, at least two months. Um, and then we have the World Health Organization um, definition from October, which talks very much about post-COVID conditions. Um, and this is, again, sort of three months of symptoms um, following a COVID-19 infection um, that have lasted for at least two months. And then the importance with this is that these symptoms cannot be explained by any other underlying condition. And we see people that, you know, are very limited in what they're able to do day to day. Um, and, you know, for some people, it has unfortunately led to um, them not being able to continue with work or their caring responsibilities. Um, and, you know, we need to understand it more. And there are there's lots of research happening, but um, we still don't know enough about it. And that's making treating it very challenging, I think. Yeah, I think so. And that's what I guess um, puts the doubt in some people's minds. But I suppose if you're saying that NICE have recognised it and the World Health Organisation, then I suppose I better change my thinking around that. And But one of the things that I found... I was reading around that a little bit, and it, it seems to affect different groups to those that we see with the more serious acute COVID, isn't it? I found that strange as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, th- I think this is something that we still um, need to understand further. Um, so obviously with acute COVID, um, particularly people were being admitted to hospital, they were generally male, um, they were older um, from different ethnic backgrounds with multiple comorbidities. Um, when we look at those that are attending, I suppose, along COVID clinics, and particularly we found this across North East London, but it's also um, supported with the um, Office of National Statistics data, long COVID seems to be much more prevalent in women. Um, you know, people um, are a lot younger, sort of 35 to um, 65 uh, age groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and although there are definitely links with comorbidities and social deprivation, um, we're seeing lots of very highly functioning highly active people um and i think because of that you know we do question is this the population that it does truly affect the most um or do we need to do more engagement work with different communities um looking at our health inequalities um and trying to um reach out to raise awareness of long covid and this is definitely work that we've planned for across northeast london Mm, okay what a clever virus. It seems to have a have a different way of approaching different people and, and wants to make sure it somehow covers all of us one way or another. Yeah, isn't it? Um, absolutely. But as you say, maybe reporting bias or, or there may be other factors. Are we any wiser in, in terms of what's actually going on when people get long COVID? Um, there are definitely lots of hypothesis uh, thoughts around pathophysiology. We have drawn some conclusions, potentially, like particularly from sort of our ME CFS um, knowledge um, but obviously there's still lots of unknowns there 
I think the belief is that, you know, it's very much down to a long lasting um, inflammatory and immunological uh, dysregulation. And we're definitely seeing evidence of dysregulation in patients and the way that they present with their symptoms. Um, and we're using mm. strategies to manage dysregulation and, and uh, non-pharmacological mm. strategies to help with dysregulation. And some of those do seem to be helping people, particularly around fatigue management. But there have been a number of papers who have, again, put um, some sorts together around what this might be that's causing um, long COVID. Um, and these are things like, could it be prolonged organ damage? Um, so sorry, prolonged inflammatory uh, mm. response within the organs. Could it be that actually the virus persists in the tissues for longer than maybe we think it does? There's obviously something around immune dysregulation and and we do see people coming through with um, symptoms that are very comparable to an autoimmune condition. Obviously, there's lots of um, attention, I suppose, at the moment on the clotting issues that might be um, taking Mm -hmm. place, um, coagulation issues. So there's lots and lots of different thoughts. um, But I suppose the thing is we still just don't 100% know. Okay, yeah, absolutely. But there's people like yourself um, working on that. So that's great. Um, maybe one day we'll have the answers to those questions. So what actually happens? What, what are the symptoms? You, I've been a bit negative re- about it, really, I guess, because I've had patients come to me who have mainly complained of tiredness. And patients have always been coming in complaining of tiredness in general practice. And we often, it sometimes makes our heart sink when, um, when we have somebody come and say, doctor, I'm tired, or, or nurse, I'm tired, or, yeah. you know, um, I think some of the new healthcare professionals are going to start getting patients coming and saying that as well. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react to that. Is, is tiredness the main symptom or, or is, it more, is there more to it than that? Um, so fatigue is definitely um, probably the, one of the main reported symptoms. But I think it's just worth saying this is not like normal fatigue. This is, you know, um, like someone has completely unplugged your battery and you can't mm. recharge um, it's fatigue that you can't push through. Um, so this is a very different tiredness. And, um, you know, I think that was part of the a challenge at the beginning is, you know, we normally we have a virus, we get po- you might get post-viral fatigue, but generally you can start to start push through that fatigue and, and you manage True. okay with it and you don't have relapses. Mm. But that's not the case with COVID. So yeah, fatigue okay. is probably the, the symptom that majority of people come in and looking at studies um, again mm-hmm. and the ONS data um, fatigue is, you know, at least being reported by over 50% of people with prolonged symptoms. Breathlessness wow. is another one. Um, so again, this is often in absence of any underlying lung condition um, and quite associated often with a dysregulation in the breathing pattern. So we're, we we know lots of patients, uh, people coming through that need breathing retraining. Um, mm. Other symptoms are things like headaches, uh, cognitive impairment, um, cardiovascular symptoms, so we're seeing a lot of people with chest pain, palpitations, um, and obviously mm. people are being diagnosed with um, orthostatic dysregulation and such as things like postural orthostatic tachycardia. Um, we've got um, people that have, you know, when they have a flare-up of their symptoms, they get flu-like like symptoms again, so temperature, okay. fevers, difficulty with regulating their temperature, um, mm-hmm. neurological symptoms such as dizziness, delirium, particularly in older adults, um, right. neuro- per- peripheral neuropathy, um, joint and muscle mm-hmm. pain is very common, um, tinnitus, uh, things that affect um, other symptoms of the affecting the ears, nose and throat. So we've got lots of people coming through with tinnitus, earache, hearing problems, um, vision, mm-hmm. um, sorry, loss of sense of taste and smell. Um, uh-huh. We've got people coming through with sore throats, rashes, hair loss, particularly women, lots of people reporting hair loss. 
um, and gastrointestinal symptoms, so such as um, vomiting, diarrhea, um, reduced appetite, difficult, not lots of weight loss, surprisingly. Some people are losing weight, um, but you know, or difficulty losing weight is often reported by patients. And then um, symptoms that affect, obviously, these are really overwhelming symptoms and have been affecting people for a long time. So on top of that, there's often a lot of anxiety um, and low mood related to the adjustment um, to this new normal or the, the um, challenges that these symptoms present. This is important to say, though, that long COVID isn't a psychological condition. Um, but with any long term condition, when you have multiple symptoms, it's going to have an a impact on how you're feeling within yourself and your health well-being. Yeah. OK. Yeah, I think I got all that. Um <laughs> Perhaps I should have asked you what symptoms doesn't it cause? Um, <laughs> Sorry. I suppose the take-home message here for me is that pretty much anything that comes through the door, it's worth just thinking about long COVID as being a possible explanation of that. Yeah. If the patients had COVID at some point, but, but certainly a significant proportion of the population have suffered with COVID symptoms. So what proportion of those would end up developing long COVID in one form or another? So expected to be about 10 to 20 percent of all COVID cases if That's we look at the wow. it's quite a lot if we look at the ONS mm. data um, then um, they measure it in sort of symptoms at four weeks symptoms at 12 weeks and have then looked at symptoms beyond a year mm. um, and so at least 71 um, percent of people um, who have reported symptoms on the ONS data or um, surveys have said that they've still got symptoms at um, 12 weeks and of that 40 just over 40 percent of them have got um, symptoms at a year doesn't mean that everyone will need a long COVID service um, lots of people might be able to self-manage or be managed within primary care rather than needing to come through to sort of complex care service um, so yeah I think this is where the work is being focused now as to who needs that complex kind of um, management and who who can maybe manage self-manage Mm, absolutely. So I guess if that's uh, 10 to 20 percent and that, that means that regardless of our role, if we're seeing patients coming to us in primary care, we're likely to be coming across patients with long COVID symptoms quite a lot, uh, yeah. no matter what we're doing. So I suppose this is relevant for all of us to know. Absolutely. But what, what are the are, are there any key things that you would want us to remember when we have a patient come to us, things that we mustn't forget? Yeah, so I think don't always assume it is long COVID. Um, and I think that's something that we're finding in clinics, you know, not huge numbers of patients, but patients who actually don't have long COVID and they might have something else. Um, and they're being um, referred through to a long COVID clinic coming through. And then we're obviously establishing that it isn't long COVID and that they needed to see a cardiologist or um, right. a neurologist. So I think it's just don't miss the red flags. So, you know, things mm. like um, chest pain in someone that might have a cardiovascular disease risk or has cardiovascular disease that very typically yep. sounds like cardiac pain or, or maybe atypically, um, maybe atypical cardiac symptoms, um, but just doesn't feel right. Okay. Um, someone okay. with deteriorating breathlessness, um, again, um, we really would encourage that you, you're assessing in primary care. So thinking about, you know, their oxygen saturations, um, do they desaturate on exercise? Um, the majority of long COVID patients we are finding don't necessarily desaturate on exercise. So the ones that do tend to possibly have some changes to their um, lungs. Um, and we're seeing that on x-ray or CT. 
Um, so just thinking about that as well. This is why we really encourage a face-to-face review um, because, and we appreciate right. how busy primary care is um, and the workload and demands that you're all under. But this is such a new disease and a new condition that we need to make sure that we aren't missing anything. And, you know, patients may be sitting on a long COVID um, clinic waiting list for a few weeks um, mm-hmm. when actually we could be getting other assessments done or investigations. And, they, you know, if they need a different care pathway, they could have been referred through more urgently. In older adults, thinking about confusion, um, uh-huh. you know, and um, sort of sudden onset progressive memory impairment. Um, yes, we know cognitive impairment is very common in people with long COVID, such things like brain fog and, you know, lack, loss of concentration or lack of concentration, reduced short-term memory. Um, but, you know, in someone, we do have to think in, in sort of our older patients, is this something else? Could this be early onset dementia? Um, and do should we be mm-hmm. um, considering that as well as a differential diagnosis? We've had a few patients with focal weakness and neurological symptoms that more align with maybe a stroke. So again, just um, thinking about that. And, and, and then anyone that might have significant weight loss, as we would do for um, other mm-hmm. um, uh, symptoms that, you know, not associated with COVID. And then the other thing is, although patients can have one symptom, it is quite unlikely um, so most people do mm. tend to have multiple symptoms. So if someone comes through with, say, a nosmia, then actually they might be better if they've had that for a long time, going to see an ENT specialist rather than coming to a long COVID clinic. It's it's remembering that, you know, we're you're very experienced clinicians and you're very primary care experts in triaging and mm. um, assessing and making, you know, sure that patients are seen under the right care pathway. And I would just really encourage that, um, that continues and that we don't lose sight because someone might have had COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we're, we are good at triaging yeah. and knowing what's going on. And if, oh, if we don't, we usually make it up and we're good at that as well. <laughs> but um, just going back to, um, you mentioned about the red flag symptoms. That's, that's really useful. That's really helpful. I like red flags because I tend to forget a lot of the other stuff, but I, I always make sure, and I teach this to my trainees, always make sure you rule out the red flags. So I suppose um, uh, take on message maybe is number one, uh, don't assume it's uh, long COVID, first rule out anything serious, urgent, the red flags, investigate. And then COVID may be more of a diagnosis of exclusion. Would it be fair to say that? Yeah, definitely. I think it it, it has, it's definitely a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, I mean, you know, there will be patients where it's very clear this is long COVID, but I think Mm -hmm. we owe it to our patients to exclude everything else first. Um, mm. And then, okay, it's, everything's come back. Okay, that's brilliant. Let's refer you through to a long COVID clinic. And you can do it alongside. So you can send somebody for further investigations and, and say to the clinic that you are excluding other things. But, you know, if you mm. want to get that referral started, the patient's over 12 weeks, then, you know, we, we won't mind about that either. So, you know, um, we're asking people to consider other diagnosis and exclude things to make sure the patient is getting the right care and they're not, that care isn't delayed. But, you know, if, if you're not sure, if you still think it probably is long COVID, then, you know, as long as the patient's had the symptoms for 12 weeks, services will likely accept the referral while the other investigations are ongoing as well. Mm-hmm. And have your services been getting uh, flooded with referrals so far? Um, so definitely we were getting flooded. I think um, most services have probably seen an impact of the vaccination programme over Christmas and the reduced okay. kind of routine work within primary care. But um we are expecting that the referral rates will definitely pick up into March, and that's the forecast mm-hmm. because of the Omicron variant. Um, and as this is a milder variant, and we know 
that the long COVID isn't associated necessarily with severity of disease and actually it's more likely to be people who are non-hospitalized um mm-hmm. with milder disease that go on to develop long COVID. Um, mm, you know, we yeah. very much are expecting to see a rise in referrals coming through. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. What would you say are the main take-home messages for, for today? Um, I think we'll definitely covered some of them. So don't assume it's always long COVID. Definitely um, mm-hmm. review your red flags and consider differential diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily have to stop the referral process to a long COVID clinic, but it just makes sure the patient gets the right care at the right time. Um, we're mm-hmm. looking at the patients. Obviously, long COVID is about those who are over 12 weeks. So anybody that um, has symptoms from four to 12 weeks, we their symptoms might improve. So monitor them. Um, obviously safety net them, rule out any red flags, but it doesn't mean they will necessarily go on to develop long COVID. Um, So definitely refer people after the 12 weeks. We don't necessarily have um, any treatment, Mm -hmm. kind of medical treatments at the moment. And I appreciate that's very frustrating for lots of people. Um, But we have lots of non-pharmacological strategies that we do know work and we do know help people to manage their symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's just setting patient expectations as well. And that can happen from point of referral in primary care as well covid doesn't just um, affect adults so you know about 14 percent of children will have symptoms beyond sort of 12 to 14 weeks so um, and these can present quite similar to adults um, but there are there are now regional clinics for children um, and young persons with long covid so yeah just also think about long covid in children it's really important um, mm. And yeah, just think very broadly with symptoms, you know, someone, there's no kind of classic presentation, we probably are looking in the future of having phenotypes um, of long COVID mm-hmm. um, groups of symptoms, and yes, fatigue and breathlessness and cognitive um, impairment and headaches are probably some of the main symptoms coming through. Lots of people have okay. um, uh, very different symptoms, and actually, that still could be long COVID. So but yeah, I think that's probably it. Okay, well, that that's great. Um, it sounds like there's so much to know about this topic. And um, it's nice to have at least some information to work on. And even if I don't remember every word of what you've said, at least it's going to make me more aware of it next time a patient presents with some of those symptoms. The other thing I would just say, actually, that's probably the most important thing is listen to your patients and validate mm. their symptoms. Um, you know, people with living with long covid um, you know, have really had to fight for um, that validation, particularly at the start. Um, yeah, and just validating yeah. can go an absolutely a, a long way. Um, people feeling like they've been listened to. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. If I'm stuck with a patient like that, I'll agree with everything they say and refer them to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, this is part of a, a series, of course. So um, yeah. we'll have more coming and, and um, find out a little bit more about the specifics of what we can do uh, yeah. maybe next time. But in the meantime, we will have patients coming to us. Is there anywhere where we can find more information and get more advice? Yeah, so um, absolutely. So we have created in North East London, um, which is currently hosted by the Newham Training Hub, um, a website for long COVID for our community of practice. And on that website, there's a national resources section um, and that will list general resources, symptom um, specific stuff, as well as national guidelines and pathways. The website also, um, you can register for the webinars that we have planned. So we have a monthly webinar, which is on different topics. Um, Also on the website, there is a patient kind of resources section for health professionals at the moment that does take you to the local system websites because each system so sitting hackney 
Tower Hamlets and Newham and Walton Forest and Barking, Havering and Redbridge do have their own information as well right. on long COVID. And we're in the process of, of building um, a more central uh, patient resources site for health professionals. Um, definitely go to Newham Training Hub because it has links then to all of the um, other national pages that are available. There's obviously stuff from NICE, NHS England, um, right. there's lots of uh, networks that have been set up so long COVID physio is one long COVID kids um, is another um, like yeah the nice kind of guidelines the Scottish uh, guidelines as well um, as well as the World Health Organization who have um, also produced a lot of information on COVID rehabilitation um, so there's lots of national and international uh, bodies that you can also have a look at. That's brilliant. Gosh, there's, it's, it's nice to know there's so much out there, actually. I didn't realise that. And, you know, dare I say, almost looking forward to my next case of low COVID. <laughs> now at least I know where to look and get more information. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And uh, hopefully if the research like this continues, we'll get clearer and clearer about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, thanks for taking this on and um, uh, educating everybody about this. No problem. So I guess I am convinced that long COVID does exist but 10 to 20 percent of those who catch the virus getting long covid wow well i hope this episode has raised your awareness of long covid like it has mine and perhaps like me you're going to think about it more often when a patient comes to you with these sorts of symptoms but it's a strange virus isn't it It seems to affect white females when severe disease has really been affecting more men from ethnic groups is that really true well i guess time will tell Now, it's certainly helpful to know about the range of symptoms that it may present with. But with so many symptoms, like, where do we begin? I mean, after ruling out the red flags, that is. Well, I'm wondering that, and you may be wondering that, and that's what we're going to find out in the next episode in the Long COVID series. But that's it for today. We hope that you're finding this podcast series informative and educational, and that it helps us understand each other and each other's roles better. As always, please do send us your feedback and suggestions by following the link in the notes section of the podcast. But until next time, keep well and keep safe.